Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is that doctors are now being trained to fist bump their patients instead of shaking hands. (laughs) That's because there was a study on the transmission of MRSA, you know, flesh-eating bacteria, showed that when you do a fist bump versus a handshake, there's less risk of contagion. That said, I think they're all a bunch of worry warts, but hey, that's just me. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's guest is one of the leading personal trainers uh, in the country. It's Ben Greenfield, who runs Human Wellness Solutions and is one of the uh, top-ranked fitness podcasts on iTunes. In fact, he isn't that. He runs it, and it's called The Get Fit Guy. Also, you're the author, Ben, of Beyond Training, Mastering Endurance, Health, and Life. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Dave. 
Uh, we've uh, we've interacted uh, quite a few times in the past, Ben. Uh, you were at the the biohacking conference uh, that I put on with Bulletproof, and I spoke at your yes. conference. Pain, painful memories of getting the hell shocked out of my abs for like ten minutes of that thing. <laughs> that was, that was, was kind of fun. <laughs> we're like we're gonna make him cry. Just give. I literally time. felt like I did like a thousand sit ups the day after that. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone felt kind of worked over, but that was the point, right? Yeah. All right now. I've heard through the grapevine that your favorite superhero is Peter Parker. Why? <laughs> Why Peter Parker? I have to know. I have no clue who told you that because I don't remember ever having said that. Oh, well, um, I'm I, telling you, I have an army of I, spies that help me do research on the guys I'm talking to. And, and I do know. wear spandex quite frequently, so that, that might be one of the reasons. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. And I sleep in a spidey bed. So You too. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is uh, you are a, a Bulletproof ambassador in, in some of the things that you're doing, like your Ironman training. You just finished like a massive Ironman in a state of ketosis. I totally want to hear about how you did it, how it worked out for you, and, and things like that. So, this is kind of pushing the, pushing the boundaries of ketosis, pushing the boundaries of what the human body can do in that state. So, what did you do? Yeah, I'm, well, actually, I'm I'm flying over to uh, University of Connecticut on Wednesday to Dr. Jeff Volok's laboratory, and they're actually going to test a bunch of athletes who have been eating a high fat diet or keeping themselves in a state of ketosis for at least six months. And they're going to test whether you oxidize more fat during exercise. They're going to have us run for three hours on a treadmill. Um, which I'm not looking forward that to. Sounds like hell to me. <laughs> <laughs> I can last about 20 minutes, then I'm ready to blow my brains out. So I, I've never run three hours on a treadmill. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm hoping they have really good satellite TV in there. Yeah. Um, they'll be doing muscle biopsies to look at rate of muscle glycogen depletion um, in folks who are who are quote unquote fat adapted versus carb adapted. They'll be doing um, carbon dioxide measurements, blood lactates. All sorts of things to check out what happens to fuel efficiency, economy, energy storage, that type of thing when you're eating a high-fat diet. Um, what I did, though, earlier this year over the course of the summer in 2013 was I just tested myself mm -hmm. as a case study to see what would happen um, both from a blood and biomarker standpoint but also from a performance standpoint when you go into a state of ketosis um, which for me involved about 80 to 90% fat-based intake to get myself up to the level of, of blood ketones necessary to be in that state. What was your, then, target, uh, your target blood number for ketones? I started using the, the Metron breath tubes, oh, which yeah. will flag positive when you're at about one millimolar. Um, earlier, when I first started, I was doing blood testing, and most of the workouts I'd finish up around three or four, four millimolar. So. Yeah. Um, I, based on, on the way that I, that I felt after doing the blood testing and what I saw from the breath testing, um, it was anywhere from about one up to, you know, I'm, I'm guessing it may have gotten at the, at the highest on like a long fasted ride, maybe seven. Um, okay. so, um, anyways, though, I, I trained in a state of ketosis and raced in a state of ketosis for Ironman Canada. Uh, which is a really tough race up in your neck of the woods um, uh, at Whistler. It's a new Ironman up there, brutal race with yeah. you know, 5,000 plus feet of climbing. And um, race that, actually qualified for Ironman World Championships and then went on and raced Ironman Hawaii, which is the one you see on, on TV um, out in the lava fields. 
and did the same thing there um, and also raced successfully, came in under 10 hours and um, did the same thing, used, used ketosis for that. So what I was able to find out was kind of how the body felt, um, what happened to my own blood and biomarkers during pretty excessive training or a very high amount of training and then a high-fat diet. I would predict that anyone who's doing that level of training is going to have some pretty ugly inflammation. Um, at least that's that's what yeah. I've seen with with other coaching clients who've who've come in after just doing lots and lots and lots of cardio that they they tend to you know they they tend to look good but they can have you know homocysteine and C-reactive yeah. protein LPPLA two are high. What yep. was your inflammation like after you did this? Uh, surprisingly, um, and, and I, and I look at a lot of, of blood panels, I do some consulting for wellness FX. So they send me a lot of their, you know, crossfitters and, and extreme athletes. And a lot of them do have elevated HSCRP. That's, that's yep. kind of the go-to inflammatory marker yep. that they measure on the performance panel over there. Um, surprisingly, my HSCRP was rock bottom, um, you know, and and that perhaps that's that's because I was taking in fewer amounts of of oxidizable you know carbohydrates, um, but it was you know it was zero point two zero point three. Um, the highest I ever saw it was four, and that was the day after doing back to back triathlons on the hardest triathlon in the United States. <laughs> I, I think that's a that's a very and even that number. I mean you know yeah. it, it wasn't through the roof that yeah. I like to keep it below one. Um, but yeah, I tested, uh, after my Ironman events, uh, several times over the course of the summer. And that was one number that stayed pretty rock bottom. So inflammation was not an issue. Um, there are some other issues we, we can, we can talk about that. I think, uh, ketosis created just because I was, I was experimenting and trying to figure out how to do things the right way, but inflammation wasn't an issue. What else happened with, uh, with ketosis? Um, from, from a blood standpoint, um, well, one of the things I noticed was I started to get cold. Like, yeah. you know, I, I use cold thermogenesis. I, I never even touch the, the hot water tap on my shower. Um, I use a cool fat burner vest. I keep my home cold, but I started to get very cold over the course of the summer, which is, which is kind of weird. I mean, cause the, the weather stays relatively warm here in Spokane. Um, energy levels started to dip in the afternoon yep. and, um, my TSH, if, if you look at, at the, I've got a blog post somewhere at Ben Greenfield fitness where I have, where I show the, the rise in TSH, but you can just watch TSH going up over the course of the summer. And for people listening, um, TSH is a thyroid stimulating hormone. So this means that his body was asking for more thyroid. Exactly. So I either uh, was not producing enough thyroid or I wasn't getting a good enough conversion of my, my inactive thyroid hormone to active, um, which, which kind of makes sense because when you have elevated levels of blood fatty acids, um, it can inhibit some thyroid activity. And also the, the conversion of inactive to active thyroid hormone relies upon a certain amount of carbohydrates. So I suspect... Um, that I got my carbohydrate levels too low and that I also was not eating or not giving my body enough hormonal support from my diet. Um, what I ended up doing was I started to eat a lot of liver, um, sweet breads. I ordered sweet breads from U.S. Wellness Meats. Um, I started doing a, a desiccated thyroid from a New Zealand cow. Yep. I used something called Thyrogold. Um, and that, that fixed the issues. I mean, within a couple of weeks, I wasn't getting cold anymore. 
Um, I did that in between Ironman Canada and Ironman Hawaii and um, retested. TSH was fine. I was at like 1.3, 1.4. So I like to see levels between anywhere from 0.5 to 2 for TSH. Yep. Um, so I fixed that. Um, testosterone also dipped over the summer. Um, that once I got on organ meats and started doing those once a week, you know, I'd, I'd take liver every week and dredge it in eggs and coconut flour and fry it up in butter. Um, that, that fixed the testosterone and the libido issues. Um, so there were, there were some things that, that, um, stemmed from ketosis that I was able to eventually manage with dietary adjustments, but that, that turned out to show that you got to be damn careful combining like very low carbohydrate intake with excessive levels of physical activity. Yeah, I I found that most people on the bulletproof diet when they went, especially women but even for men, if they went into ketosis and stayed there for long periods of time, including myself, lots of problems happened, but that dipping out and going back in seemed to solve those problems. Why didn't you just like eat a bunch of rice and then go right back into ketosis and just like let your body get a break? Yeah. I'd done cyclic low carb. I'd done yeah. cyclic ketosis before and, and been successful with that. But for me, I just wanted to see what would happen if uh, so you, the, the if you actually stayed. Aspects. And like, yeah. yeah, it was a total N equals one. It was just strict ketosis. Yeah. Um, and the performance payoff was good. I mean, I, you know, Ironman Canada, I got stronger and stronger as that day went on. I was one of the, one of the top amateur guys off of the bike, had one of the fastest bike splits on the day on an incredibly difficult course. Um, came in as one of the top finishers, had a great race in Hawaii, same thing, got stronger and stronger as the day went on. So there were some definite improvements in, um, most likely fat burning efficiency. Um, I never actually got in and did a VO2 max test to look at improvements in, uh, economy and in oxygen utilization in a laboratory test. But, uh, Dr. Peter Atia has done some yeah. testing on, on VO2 max efficiency and economy, um, in Dominique Diagostino's laboratory, and he's yeah. done that with ketosis and also the intake of liquid ketones and seen some pretty good improvements in economy and efficiency on the bike. So I suspect I was probably experiencing some of the same things um, during Ironman. But yeah, the whole cyclic thing, I just wanted to see what would happen if you if you avoided that completely and just went full-on ketosis for like 16 weeks. It's interesting. Even without the the what I'll just term chronic cardio <laughs> for lack of a better word. Although man, hats off for you know your performance in Ironman. I I I'm yeah. impressed. And I should throw in there, by the way, I I train eight to twelve hours a week. So I I cool. certainly train more than a lot of folks, but I do limit my chronic cardio and I, oh, I actually use okay. I use a lot of the techniques I picked up at your bulletproof biohacking conference last year from Jay Schroeder in oh, terms cool. of uh building up lactic acid. And we can talk about some of the ways that I did that, but um, but yeah, all right. What, that what that makes saying? sense. So, so that's probably a part of, of why you are resilient in this case. In my own experiment, I did about 90 days and I was going to go for like six months where I ate like a serving of green vegetables every day. Everything else was fat, like tons of fat, bulletproof coffee all the time and, uh, uh meat and some organ meat, probably not enough. But I was trying to replicate like a an Eskimo ratio where it's like right. super, super high fat, similar to what you're doing, 80, 90% fat. And what I found was similar to you, after about 60 days, my sleep quality started to decline. Um, so I would wake up feeling tired and I would like show on my Zio that it was like nine wake-ups every night. 
mm-hmm. I wasn't aware of these wake ups, but it was like sleep wasn't a deep sleep was just not happening at all. And then there were libido issues and I started getting like weird, uh, weird headaches and, mm-hmm. uh, I got really dry eyes. Did you get dry eyes during this time? I didn't get dry eyes, um, you know, and, and I know that that lack of, of glycoprotein formation in your joints and lack of mucin production are mm-hmm. two byproducts of extremely low carbohydrate intake. Yeah, it was the um, mucin thing that, that was getting me. Yep, exactly. The, but you got to remember, too, like I'm eating 4,000 to 5,000 calories a day. So yep. even on a very low carbohydrate diet, I'm typically getting more than 50 grams of carbohydrates. So Yeah, and so th- this was honestly my mistake because, you know, I, I was also eating around 4,000 to 4,500 calories a day uh, during that time. I, I did that for two years straight. I'm like, look, I grew a six-pack on 4,000 calories a day. Um, yeah. But the lack of mucin is a real problem because what it did was you need mucus to line your gut. And when you go very low carbohydrate like that, and I just did not have enough raw materials to make uh, mucus lining to protect my stomach, so I got leaky gut, and I developed some allergies that are st- I'm still working wow. on. And you know, like an egg allergy, like what the hell? How do you live without eggs? It, it's terrible. Yeah. Because yeah. I get some ice cream, looks at me every night, and I'm like, I'm not going to eat that right now. But uh, so I'm working on reversing an egg allergy that came about from that. And it's it's kind of uh, interesting that you bring up the Eskimos because um, I believe it was Chris Masterjohn who wrote about the Inuit population mm-hmm. yeah. and how they found that to to maintain fertility they have to go out of their way to eat organ meats and you know do things like the the liver and the sweetbreads and you know yeah. I think they were doing like moose thyroid and things like that just to be able to to maintain adequate hormonal status while on a very low carbohydrate diet. So, um, you know, and I think, I think it's cholesterolandhealth.com or something like that is his blog, but he's got some interesting stuff about that over there. Yeah. Chris's work is amazing. Um, he's been on uh, Bulletproof Executive Radio and, uh, we, we talk about this kind of stuff and I think he's been on your show too. Not yet. Yeah. I got to get him on though. Yeah. He's, he's just a, an amazing, amazing researcher and, uh, has the ancestral thing down. So yeah. when when I think about like the paleo masters, he's he's on the list. Well, it's his name, Master John, but yeah, <laughs> he's exactly. he's just a, a cut above. I I really admire him. So uh, okay, so so this is one of the risks of extreme ketosis. What I found with women is they first talk about like lack of like like just life energy, and then mm-hmm. dreams go away. Like they they stop efficient dreaming, uh, which mm-hmm. is why. I'm like, okay, do the cyclical thing. And I'm not certain that staying in ketosis all of the time forever is a good idea. I'm sure that spiking your ketones is really good. And it may be that the path you're on is totally the right one. Like that's what we, we want to be doing. Yeah. I just don't know for sure. And like, well, I, like I have, me are important. I have since adjusted my diet, like oh, since, since Ironman Hawaii. So yeah. I'm down to more like 60% fat intake now. Okay. Um, you know, 50 to 60% fat, 20 to 30% protein, anywhere from 10 up to 30% carbohydrate, depending on the volume mm-hmm. of any given exercise day. I find that's, you know, it's not only is it way more sustainable if you happen to, you know, walk into an Italian restaurant, but it's um is it's just a little it's a little less stressful in the body um you know i don't have to go out of my way quite so much to eat organ meats um the other thing that i track you know i think similar to you is my heart rate variability and my nervous system stays way more stabilized with this approach yeah 
Um, so, so I'm not doing full on ketosis anymore. Um, I'm still doing things like, you know, for example, the, the bulletproof protocol prior to my big training days, prior to my races, you do like bulletproof coffee before the race. Well, what I used to do before the race was I'd do a huge bowl of oatmeal, and mm-hmm. a lot of times I would do that. So if a race start was at 7, I'd do that around like 3 or 4 a.m., and then I'd do sweet potatoes, yams, nut butter, usually some cinnamon and some sea salt, a little bit of honey on that, and that'd be about two hours prior to the event. So I mm-hmm. would just jack up blood glucose, um, elevate you know muscle and liver glycogen stores as much as yeah. possible, and go into the race in that state. Um for Ironman Hawaii and Ironman Canada, two of my fastest Ironman, what I did was I woke up about two hours before the race um, and then did coffee, uh, butter, amino acids, uh, MCT oil. Um, this, and was, I kept, this was all the stuff I was sending you, right? The upgraded MCT? Yep, or were you exactly, doing Brain Octane? It was exactly. upgraded MCT? Right, it, cool. At that time, it was still upgraded MCT. Okay. Yep. And um, kept the upgraded MCT up during the entire race at the equivalent cool. of about a tablespoon per hour. Wow. Um, and what I found through my experimentation was that to stay in a, in a state of ketosis during exercise, um, three things that work really well, in addition to starting off the session with something like the, like the Bulletproof Coffee Blend, is using the MCT oil and dosing with that every hour during, adding in amino acids. Um, Which ones? Because L-glutamine? elevating... What I used was a uh, master amino pattern. Uh, it, it's like an essential amino acid yeah, blend. I, I use it too. You probably got that yeah. from what Minkoff or someone. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so from from uh, Dr. Minkoff, who was yeah. at the at the Superhuman yeah, conference. He's, he's, he's awesome. I, um, I went and I visited him, and he uh, put me on map as well. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, but what I actually added into that was even more branch chain amino acids. Yeah. So I was doing ten grams an hour of map, and I wow. think it came out to five of branch chain in Ironman Hawaii. Uh, and that was based on Peter Atia's recommendation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when I got towards the end of Ironman Canada, like in about the last eight miles or so, I did bonk. And um, part of it was was my amino acids dropped so low mm-hmm. because I wasn't taking enough. So we added more branched-chain amino acids. I think it was BioSteel was okay. the name of the stuff that we used for that. Um, so MCT oil, amino acids is a rel- at a relatively high dose, like 10 to 15 grams per hour. And then um, a slow-release starch that this kept the body from, from spiking blood glucose. Exactly. Yeah, that's great So you stuff. can super starch. It's like a non-GMO corn starch. They, they put it through like 40 different treatments to, to actually make it digestible and to increase the, the molecular weight. So it's very, very slowly absorbed. Um, and you only take in about a quarter of as many carbohydrates you'd normally take in if you're, ta- if you're doing the traditional – you know, endurance athlete or whatever is recommended yeah. by Gatorade, you know, they're, they're recommending you take in anywhere from 250 to 400 calories of carbohydrate per hour with something like you can plus MCT oil plus amino acids. You do about a hundred calories or so, or about mm-hmm. a serving of you can per hour mixed with the amino acids and the oil. And what I would do was I would put all that in the blender, I'd blend it up and then dump it into water bottles for the bike and then dump it into flasks for the run. Um, and it was really clean burning fuel that allowed me to stay in ketosis while I was out there. Beautiful. That, that's pretty impressive. That's a great protocol. Um, did you do anything like B12 or magnesium malate or anything like that? No. Why would I have done that? Well, I've done some formulas for people running marathons and especially post mile 20. Mm -hmm. Um, I've used, um, large doses of L-glutamine, um, which was that in your stack or no, no glutamine? Mm -hmm. No, um, that plus 
sea salt of you know all the amazing things i'm sure you were taking some salt along the mm -hmm. way yeah uh, not and, not a lot okay and uh, then, I, I sea salt pretty liberally in yeah. the in the days leading up to the event but salt intake drives uh, kidney sodium excretion during the event so i was careful not to overload with 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 the stereotypical amounts of sodium or electrolytes during the actual event. So. That makes, that makes good sense. Um, I was finding, and these were not pro athletes you know, these are, you know, the, the I'm going to run a marathon kind of people, um, maybe for the first or second time. And there, a couple of pinches of salt really had a rejuvenating effect. And it's probably because mm -hmm. electrolytes were jacked anyway. Um, yeah. magnesium, same thing, but magnesium malate because magnesium malate, um, helps with Krebs cycle. Mm. And they're usually magnesium deficient anyway. So you might not be magnesium deficient. It might not have worked for you. But um, the role of malic acid in the Krebs cycle is pretty important. So That's found, interesting. Yeah, I found tossing that in there along with some uh, methylcobalamin, just the, the B12 uh -huh. stuff. Yep. Also pretty typical now, mitochondrial energizer. What I did use when you're talking about the Krebs cycle is one, one of the, um, you know, lactic acid gets a bad rap, obviously. Mm -hmm. and it still does an exercise, which is dumb because the research has been out for like over a decade that shows that lactic acid um, pretty efficiently can get converted into glucose uh, via something called the Cori cycle and, and utilize as a fuel during exercise as long as your body is efficient at doing that. And a big part of creating that efficiency, um, you know, things like weight training, high intensity interval training. Um, believe it or not, the isometrics combined with the electrical muscle stimulation that we were doing down at the down at the biohacking event, that's yep. very good at just you know jacking up a ton of lactic acid at the muscle level and then training your body on how to elevate the levels of buffering enzymes and also to to get into that Cori cycle more efficiently. Um, but oxaloacetate, I was actually oh, using yeah, the, the, the upgraded, upgraded anti-aging. Yeah, that's the, that's the stuff on yep. upgraded itself, one of my products. Cool. So, yep. so what about two, that? Yeah. Two a day before every high-intensity interval okay. training session, and then six during Ironman. So two before, two at special needs of the bike, and okay. two at special needs of the run. So that I was able to take a lot of the lactic acid I was producing mm -hmm. and convert that via the Cori cycle into glucose. Um, basically, the way that I understand it is oxaloacetate supplies uh, some of the NAD, which is a, a rate-limiting step in the conversion of lactic acid into glucose. And so you're just accelerating your body's ability to be able to take what would normally be potentially a damaging metabolic byproduct and reconvert it into energy that you can use. So it's almost like you're not having to take in as much carbohydrate because your body's making some of its own glucose itself as a byproduct of the pyruvic acid that builds up during exercise. Yes, uh, that that matches uh, my uh, my experience and understanding, which is kind of cool. So if if it's about athletic performance and just hacking the Krebs cycle, there's there's a lot of work to be done there, especially in pro athletes. I think we've just barely scratched the surface. And the cool thing is, when you're hacking the Krebs cycle, you're not taking performance enhancing drugs. Like you don't need pharma to do it. Right. Uh, you mostly need nutrients. You don't even need herbs for most of that. Yeah. So it, it's it's just like a low-hanging fruit from my perspective. Yeah. That and, and just the whole concept of increasing mitochondrial density so that you've got more mitochondria turning out ATP in general. So, oh, yeah. you know, things like cold thermogenesis, um, you know, even limiting carbohydrate intake can increase mitochondrial density just because of the increase in fat oxidation um, or the the hypothetical increase in fat oxidation that – um, I'm actually going to look into or find out more about next week. On, when on I, cold thermogenesis? 
Uh, no, during exercise. Oh, during exercise. Like, okay. you know, does, you know, the, the question is when you're eating a high fat diet, do you actually oxidize more fat during exercise? And, you know, the research is kind of sparse on that. So that's, that's one of the things that we'll look at next week in the lab. Um, or, or that, that Jeff Volok is going to release when he releases that study. So, um, but yeah, ultimately increasing mitochondrial density is, is, should be one of the Holy grail goals for not just an endurance athlete, but I mean like, you know, whatever CrossFitter, Spartan racer, you know, anybody out there competing and wanting more energy. Um, speaking of people wanting more energy, let's switch gears a bit. So let's say that you're not, a a massive athlete, you know, you do your 15 minutes a, a week of uh, high intensity intervals, either sprinting or, or heavy lifting. What would you, what would some of the recommendations you've seen from your work, how would they generalize to, you know, mere mortals from an athletic right. perspective? Like what would you do for mitochondria, like top five things or something? Right. Um, you know, one of the things that you can do, even if you're not doing, you know, kind of like the far out electrical muscle stimulation type of protocols is just those isometrics that we talked about. So, for example, getting into, um, I don't know if you could even see it in the, in the video, but for example, you know, one of the things that we did during the, uh, during your biohacking conference, we would just get into a lunge like this and hold. So I got myself to the point over this summer where I could hold a lunge position or a squat position or like a deep push-up position yep. for six minutes. And so when you're doing that, you're building up a bunch of that lactic acid. It's something anybody can. I mean, you can do that in your office. You don't have to be an extreme athlete. And, and it's actually very, very low in terms of the amount of joint impact that occurs when you're just doing isometric holds. Yep. Um, so that's one thing. Um, cold exposure can help out quite a bit. So... Um, cold thermogenesis. There's companies now, you know, like I mentioned, that are making like vests that that you can uh, that you can pack with cold, um, yeah, as I, well as I, as belts, like a a cool fat burner vest. I'm actually using the pad from a cool fat burner vest right mm -hmm. now underneath my laptop to keep the fan from turning on. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were going to say it was underneath your butt to keep you... <laughs> no, I'm standing. ...forming all that brown adipose tissue. You're yeah. standing. I am too, actually. Yeah. It's good. I, I, went, I have this, this really cool thing I got to I gotta show it to you because you'll, you'll like it. It's a prototype of uh, an electric desk that moves from sitting to standing, so you just push a button and it goes up and down. It, is, that, uh, is that the up desk? Uh, no, it's not available on the market yet. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Cool. It's pretty cool. I'm actually uh, in in a, a house I'm building about four miles from here. I'm, I've got all the windows in the office elevated, and the entire thing built so that the desk wraps around a treadmill workstation, so I can I can walk and stay moving the entire day while I'm working. Um, and that's also really important, just like hacking your environment so that you're you're on your feet all day, you're moving, you're shaking, and then at the end of the day, you can do a very small, like, high-intensity workout on top of that. Yeah. And, uh, again, it, it returns to that, that concept of um, minimal exercise. Like, I talked about training 8 to 12 hours a week for Ironman. One of the ways that I did that was moving all day long. Yeah. So the human body has, has a great amount of natural endurance capability, um, our ability to cool our bodies, um, our ability to go for long periods of time. Um, that's, that's not really a weakness per se in the human body as much as strength, power, speed, mobility, some of these other elements are. And so what you do is you just keep your body active throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, you do, you know, whatever, like a, like a high intensity Tabata set, like, 
you know, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, eight times through for a total of four minutes after a, a good warm up and a good cool down. Or you do um, a, a weight training set. Like I really like, especially for the general population, um, because it's safe and it's really effective. Um, Doug McGuff's Body by Science approach. Oh, yeah. He, it's or, the one I recommend on, on my site, too. It, it's so yeah. awesome. So well, um, it's, how it's do you, cardio, how do you it's it? cardio and weights at the yeah. same time. Right. And you can do it like you can do it with a suspension strap, like a TRX. If you're mm-hmm. traveling, you can do it with body weight. You can do it with machines at the gym. But the way you do it is you choose about four to five multi-joint exercises. So say like, let's say you're at the gym. So you go over to the area where the machines are and you do a machine chest press. You do a machine seated row you do a machine leg press, even though it's it's biomechanically kind of messed up. If you right. don't know how to squat or lunge properly, it's it's better than nothing. Um, you do a, a cable pull down, and these are all exercises that it's almost like the machine walks you through the exercise. And then you do, for example, like an abdominal crunch machine. And you're doing so this I, all I know, at like, at like super high this, weight, right? Um, relatively high weight, but even more importantly, especially for people who are just getting started in this or, or want to. Um, you know, want to want to gradually get their body to the point where they can do more. Um, a weight that gets you tired. If you're doing ten seconds up, ten seconds down for anywhere from about four to six repetitions. So you're, you're shooting for a time under tension of sixty seconds or so for each muscle for each set. Um, so it's very slow, controlled. It's like you want to go faster, but you don't allow your body to. And you can do each of those exercises just one time, or you can get up to the point where. You know, if you want to exceed like the twelve-minute protocol that's in Doug McGuff's book, you could do it two or three times. I know a lot of the strength conditioning coaches who might be listening in are cringing when I'm talking about the leg press and the, <laughs> and the ab machine. Yeah, but for people just getting started, I mean, this stuff works. And then you could take the same type of protocol once you've gotten stronger, and you can get like a suspension strap. And this is something I'll do at home. Like I'll put the suspension strap on my door and do like a super slow push-up put one leg in it, do a super slow lunge, change the other leg, do a super slow lunge on the edge of, on the other leg, stand up, do a super slow seated or, or standing row up and down. But what happens is you get increased blood flow or increased venous return to the heart as you move those muscles very, very slowly. And so you're training yourself to become stronger from a cardiovascular standpoint yeah. while also making your muscles stronger. So you're getting the best of both worlds. So you're looking there at like training your ejection fraction in the right direction versus chronic cardio. Exactly. It's an increase in blood pressure, but it's not an increase in central blood pressure, which a lot of people consider to be stressful in the heart. It's an increase in peripheral blood pressure, which forces blood back to your heart while still allowing you to have good cardiac output. So it's it's just a really cool, smart way to train, especially if your time is limited. You know, doing that and like alternating one day of something like that with one day of high intensity interval training and then one rest day or like a mobility or yoga or foam rolling or restorative day is a really sustainable program for people, especially if they're combining that with, you know, whatever, standing workstation, time on the feet, maybe even greasing the groove with like, you know, like I've got a pull-up bar in the door of my office and just do a few pull-ups every time I walk under it. Um, But that was how I trained for Ironman with minimal time was – Basically, staying on my feet and keeping myself active and then doing short exercise sessions at the end of the day to just put a little bit of speed or power or strength on top of the endurance. It's, it's amazing what a little movement will do. 
I, I'm not sure that that I can convince myself to walk on a treadmill. I know Chris Kresser, yeah. uh, when he was on the podcast, he was he was talking about it. And you know, I have a treadmill, but honestly, I, I didn't find it useful for doing intervals on it because you can't get it fast enough, and you can't get it slow enough for real interval training. So it's kind of like it was a clothes rack for a while, and then it's now like sitting in a shed somewhere. But what I what I'm doing is every one or two hours, I'll do five minutes of bulletproof vibe, the whole body vibration. Mm-hmm. which is you know, different than a treadmill, but it's causing the same lymphatic circulation. It just happens on a much faster basis, and it causes more of the the bone stress, which keeps your bones healthy. So it, it's a, I don't know that there's a justification for you know a, a vibration stand-up desk because you don't want to vibrate all the time, I don't think. But doing well, for, it, for those of us who are podcasting, that might backfire. <laughs> yeah, you're sort of sitting there jumping up and down. Your, your uh, voice warbles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but in terms of just keeping the brain going and keeping the circulation without having to walk all the time, uh, yep. I'm pretty sure that's going to be my standard uh, going forward. But you know, I'll tell you in a while because there isn't really any research about you know, what happens when you're what happens when you vibrate for a little while every hour versus just doing 10 or 15 minutes a day, which is what yeah. most of the research is about. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, even for folks who can't afford like a like a vibration platform, um, even though I know I know yours is kind of like no frill, right? It's, it's uh, fifteen hundred bucks, handmade yeah. steel, and no handles, yeah. so it fits under a bed. Compared to like the the ten to fifteen thousand dollar force plate or, or vibration yeah. units, the, that, the TurboSonic you know, is the you got to find a biomechanics like, lab. That's not bad. Yeah, if you have like ten or fifteen grand, buy the TurboSonic. Man, I I yeah. I lust after those, but I'm not exactly rolling. Yeah, <laughs> not like, yeah. I'm not wealthy. <laughs> the so. other thing that that works out well as far as lymph flow, especially for capillarization to the head, mm-hmm. is inversion. Oh, and I've it. got an inversion table. I've got an inversion table uh, and a, a Vasa trainer, which is a, like a horizontal kind of swim trainer okay. out in my garage. Um, so inversion is is pretty good for that. It's not obviously something you can do while you're working. Um, but I usually go out there about three times a week for five to ten minutes and just hang, you know, do some gravity sit-ups and, and some, some attraction for the hips. It sounds kind of ridiculous, but... One of the really good ways to increase cognitive function, and you know that's kind of my sport. If anything is, you know, I, I want to feel good all the time, and be able to think of stuff when I want to think of it. And hanging upside down, being inverted, increases those brain capillaries. Like they actually get stronger, and you get more of them. So it's yeah. see so your back. It's kind of weird less. if yeah. you take somebody who's never hung upside down. You see them; they get extremely red in the face. They get very, very uncomfortable when they first get on something like an inversion table, mm-hmm. or even in like an inverted position during yoga. And within just a few weeks, you know, they can be inverted and be just fine. You don't see the same amount of redness in the face. Yeah. So you can actually witness the capillarization, almost like you know, morphing someone's body within just a few weeks of inversion training. I have to say, one of my favorite things about yoga classes is, is the first time someone kicks up into like a handstand. It, it, I mean, I, you, you've probably seen that. Like, people, they'll yeah. scream. Like it, they're yeah. just terrified. And it's like, yeah. no, actually, you're not going to die if you're upside down. I'm pretty yeah. sure. But that's all like sympathetic activation and just yeah. this pushing a comfort zone. And pretty soon their whole vestibular system adjusts. And yep. then their their capillaries change the way their body regulates blood pressure changes. And that's one of the reasons and you've got a couple of five-year-olds. I've got a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And uh, they've been holding those those kids upside down since they were little kids. And, you know, I can hold them above my head upside down for a half hour and they just think it's funny. You know, they'll, they'll I don't know if I've ever gone a half hour, but. I was going to say, that's a good workout. Yeah, no kidding. I was like, I do get tired, but sometimes I think half my shoulder workout is just from, you know, throwing kids up in the air and catching them. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So I think teaching kids to be upside down is actually going to be good for their circulation system and good for their nervous system, not to mention sympathetic and parasympathetic activation. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, you're an Ironman athlete, and you've got two five-year-olds. Um, are how how far are they running now? Like, what's their sprint time? Like, <laughs> so they, well, they've they've done six triathlons. Um, no, really, but they have, yeah, they have, and they're training for their first Spartan race right now. So I've actually I built an obstacle course up on our land here in Washington, and we've got uh, we're up there tire flipping the other day and rope climbing, and we've got a spear throw. So I've I've got a bunch of hay bales hanging from the trees, cool. and these spears that I made from roofing nails and broomsticks. Uh, because the spear throw is part of the Spartan race. Um, and then we've got cinder blocks that you drag with chains. Wow. Um, I'm building an obstacle wall right now that you can actually, it, it's like a rock climbing wall that you can climb on sideways, but then also practice crawling under, you know, leaping over, doing pull-ups on. Um, we've got bucket carry, sandbag carry. So I'm basically taking my entire land and turning it into a, a giant gym. Um, but yeah, my kids are, are pretty active. Um, I don't know if I want them to do triathlons or, or Spartan races or things like that when they grow up because you can't get college scholarships for, <laughs> for any of that. Um, I, I played tennis in college, and I've, I've had them playing tennis. They're right-handed and left-handed, so they've been playing since they were about three. And I'd kind of rather them hone that skill over, over running for long distances. But, yeah, they're active for sure. That's pretty funny. So, so they're, but you said they actually have done triathlons even though they're five? Yeah, I they didn't have, know they had five-year-old triathlons. They have the Iron Kids races. It's kind okay. of scary. Like they, they have like there's some kids that are out there running half marathons. You know, even like seven and eight-year-old kids. I, I, I don't think, think that's healthy. No, it's it's, it's dangerous. You know? okay. Yeah, these these are short though. I mean, like we're talking. They swim across the pool. They get out. They ride their bike a mile. Then they run around the track. Oh, that's so, cool. I I yeah. think that's that's amazing. It's got to be so good for their their just their sense of accomplishment. Yeah, exactly. And it's just the look on their face that's priceless when they cross the finish line. And I really don't think that it's doing a number on their hormones or their no. bone density or their development or anything like that. that. That's actually helping them in, in yeah. everything I understand about, about child development. It, it's always interesting to, to talk with people who are pro athletes who are really serious into them about what they do with their kids. Because you know there aren't you know if if you have a five year old and you're like you're a football player like okay are you going to teach him to play football or are you worried about concussions and like mm -hmm. just you, you can you can learn a lot about the way people think from something like that. Well, let's see. We talked about um, basically biohacking your kids' exercise. We talked about mitochondria, fat burning, uh, ketosis, triathlons. What have we not talked about that we should talk about, Ben? Hmm. Well. Um... You know, one of the things that that I think is important and um, something I think that both you and I do that we touched on briefly is uh, tracking the strength of your nervous system. Um, and that's one of the things that I did all during my Ironman training and still do every morning is heart rate variability testing, um, which, you know, it's it's so cheap and easy and effective to do these days that I think that that's something, you know, especially if we have athletes listening in, which, which I know is probably going to be the case. You know, I, I can't talk to athletes without recommending that. I think it's going to be something every team and every athlete is on board with, um, in the next decade, just because it allows you to so easily track whether or not your body is ready for say like an interval training session versus an aerobic session versus a rest day, it allows you to look at both sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system readiness and strength. Um, 
lets you keep a quantified, um, you know, running number on your recovery. Um, and it's easy to do. So, um, you know, I use the, uh, the sweet app, um, with the, with the wireless polar H seven monitor every morning. And that's, that's the way that I've been testing. I know they're coming out soon with some kind of a wearable thing that you can put on during exercise, but I think that's really important. Yeah, um, I've uh, I've partnered with the Sweepy guys, and um, we're making HRV Sense, which has a, a very similar functionality set. But there's a stick-on Bluetooth wearable patch yeah. that's out there. I, I've got a couple demo models of it. Yeah, I've and, got uh, one somewhere. You probably have one there too. I'm guessing. Yeah, I've got a whole drawer full of stuff here, and so it, that's on my on my to do list of to try. Um, yeah, I, but yeah I, it's like a do wearable sleep, patch. Do you sleep with the monitor on? No, I I pretty much. So I'm building a house right now. I've got kill switches installed in all the bedrooms. Yeah. It's all yep. it's all wire EMF shielded wiring, um, basically you know completely uh, you know non toxic woods and and everything that you can do to to make sure that you're mitigating your EMF exposure, you know mold exposure and, and yep. things of that nature. Um, but I am I, I think that there's more cons than pros to having stuff plugged in and running and turned on in the bedroom while you're asleep. So yeah, about the only thing I have is I I run an Earth Pulse um, pulsed electromagnetic mm-hmm. frequency device. Um, you, you feel under good my when you mattress. Sleep I do. I actually okay. use two. So I use a headphone splitter mm-hmm. um, and have two magnets attached to the Earth Pulse unit, and I feel good when I when I sleep with that and notice a difference. Um, especially in terms of uh, recovery. Do you put it on setting one or so, setting but, two? Uh, it's it's called the recovery setting. Re- so oh, it's you got put like on recovery. Okay. sleep one, sleep two, sleep three, and sleep four, mm-hmm. but I just use recovery. Cool. Um, so I put that on, and everything else is unplugged. Um, sometimes I'll run my phone with a white noise app on it, but it's in airplane mode. Yep. Um, so I don't I don't really sleep with much on as far as like monitoring devices or Bluetooth or anything like that. I, I don't want to sleep with Bluetooth on it. I've done it a few times with a chest strap, but even during the day, I, I don't want to wear a chest strap all the time shooting Bluetooth right out of the middle of my chest, which is where I'm electromagnetically most yeah. sensitive. Um, yeah. When I when I run the Earth Pulse, um, it it actually disturbs my sleep. I, I get a, a sense really? of anxiety. I can do it for one night. The next night, my body's like, uh, that's not right. But I, I can do other PEMF devices. So the Earth Pulse has a really strong effect. Like I, it's, I, I can tell you when it's turned on across the room um, just because I don't know, I've built a lot of awareness for these things. So I, I think, I, at least for me, it works. It does a lot of really interesting biological stuff, but I use it for short periods of time. Mm-hmm. And then I use another big mat that has like multiple coils with different pulse frequency settings for different organs and things like that because there's a lot it- to PEMF. Is that like like a magnetica or a biomat or something like that? No, or no, it's, different? it's a pulse coil mat. There's a couple. Okay. Of them. There's mass and there's IMRS and, and there's things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're not cheap, um, but yeah. you know, it's like, do you buy a new car or do yeah. you like want to increase mitochondrial yeah. respiration? Like, I, I know yeah. what's important to me. <laughs> well, I mean, the, like a, a PMF device, like the Earth Pulse. I mean, something like that has actually a greater application to injuries in terms of the actual research. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially with bone injuries and uh, speeding bone healing, that's where most of the the yeah. good research has been done on PEMF. So stress fractures, um, bone breaks, stuff like that. Especially for athletes, that's where you do something like you know jam the North Pole end of the magnet up against the injured area for fifteen to twenty minutes a day, and that's yeah. where you're looking at like acceleration of bone healing. Um, the but I I do like it for sleep. 
The one that I use uh, specifically on injuries, or actually quite often while I'm sleeping on the road, is the Soma Pulse. Uh, this one is is gentler, and it's been used uh, for a lot of healing things like that. But I, I stack the coils under my lower back, uh, and you know the lower part of the cerebral spinal system, and um, that has all sorts of cool effects. Like if there's something that's sore or not working right, but even when I'm flying, sometimes you know it, it's less powerful than a cell phone. But the pulsing and the shape of the field matters. Um, if people yeah. want to check out the Soma Pulse. Um, just go to Soma Pulse, check it out. There's a, a code. It's either BPE or Bulletproof, one of the two, and uh, that gets you like a very large savings. But it's uh, it, it's an interesting technology, and I think it's important that people understand that that these devices, you know, the Earth Pulse you're just talking about, the Soma Pulse, and these other more expensive things, they have biological effects that are well established. Your cell phone is a pulse to electromagnetic field generator mm-hmm. as well, but we yep. haven't looked at the modulation effects of that. So I know you're as concerned about EMF as I am. I use you know, electrical filters, uh, and you know whenever I end up um, getting a place, uh, I'm planning to to do the similar things where you put you know shielding in, and you put uh, a, potentially even a metal roof that's grounded. Yep. I think that's kind of like. Are you doing that on your house? No, we just have the. Um, I forget. I forget the name of the uh, the the roofing material that we're using. Um, it's it's not a metal grounded roof though. Although it does have uh, like a metal snow catch around it, so we might be able to ground that. I'm not sure if that would have an effect though. Um, I don't know what that would do either. It's probably a good idea, but yeah, I, that's probably yeah. beyond my pay grade. You have to find someone who's really good at uh, physics or electrical engineering to really understand like what a grounded ring around the top of your house would do yeah Um, my my old office was a faraday cage uh, so i'd actually built it using it was like one of those offices in a garage so i built it using foil lined foam and then Mm -hmm. i used uh, electrically conductive tape to bind it all together and grounded all of that and you could see you go in there your cell phone signal would just die and if you hold it by the window or the door it wouldn't die because i didn't bother getting you know screens to cover it but you can feel when you meditate in a in a fair yeah. age like that, it, there's a difference biologically, and it's pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. So I, I like it. I'm really stoked on hearing about your new house, Ben. Um, I think I think oh, it's yeah, going to be one I'll of those have, super. I'll have you down once it's done. We're 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 putting in ducks and goats and um, basically kind of making it the the ultimate healthy pad. So well, we're we're yeah. in the same mindset there. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm I'm not I'm not closed on it yet, but I'm I'm really hoping that that I might get a local place here. Um, which would support, I mean, honestly, healthy soil. You get the healthy soil and healthy animals. You get healthy gut bacteria. You get healthy food and healthy sunshine. And uh, so, anyway, I'm I'm eager to uh, see what you've got going on out there. I'll probably end up giving you a call um, if I end yeah. up going down the same path on my place. Yeah. Have you had, have you down to hang out in the infrared sauna? That that'd be beautiful. And uh, <laughs> God, funny enough, that's something that I, I would do as well. And my sister lives in Spokane, so it's easy for me to have an excuse to come on down. So I'd, I'd love. That's to right. Do. Actually, your sister lives, uh, I think, near North Spokane. Um, yeah, and she's on the north side. Which is so we're we'll be about basically like five minutes from your sister's. Where we're, where we're at. So there you go. So it's a small world. Yeah, and, uh, I gotta say, if my sister's listening, and to you, Spokane is in the middle of nowhere. It's it like is. so far. To get there. <laughs> Which is why I live here. Yeah. I'm on an island. We're not that we're, we're not that far away in our thinking there, Ben. Thanks for being on the show, man. And you know what's coming up here in terms of questions. The final question of the show is always mm-hmm. the same top three recommendations for people who want to kick more ass. 
So it doesn't have to be triathlons or any of the stuff you've done. Just what, what would you recommend right. people pay attention right. to? Um, okay. So number one, and this would be based off of research that has been done to show what single variable is the most important in making you live longer. Um, and that would be none of the things that we just got done talking about, but instead the amount of love and relationships in your life. So that would be number one. Um, quality relationships either with your loved one or with your kids, going out of your way to, you know, to, to give hugs, to hang out with friends, to build your social network. Um, that is the single most important thing you can do. Um, you know, I like the book Never Eat Alone, for example, which is, which is really good at just kind of helping you get outside your comfort zone, go out, meet people, build relationships, um, and also ensure that the relationships in your home are really, really quality. Um, that would be the number one thing. Um, number two would be uh, music. And I say that because I grew up playing violin, played violin for 13 years, and then got into a band in high school. Now I play guitar a few times a week. Um, not only is it therapeutical, and, you know, like Abel James had a, had a great presentation at your biohacking conference about this, um, but it helps to grow your brain. It helps to grow mm -hmm. neural networks. Um, it helps with learning, memory formation. To me, it's more interesting than like playing Lumosity or doing end back training. Like learning a new song in the guitar is just way more stimulating and fun for me. And even if you don't want to play an instrument or learn to play an instrument, you know, like yesterday after the work day, I just put on a a, a new guy who uh, who I saw at a coffee shop here in Spokane, whose music I, I really like. Kind of sounds like um, like Ben Harper, who's one of my favorite cool. musicians, and just you know went out on my dorky stand up elliptical trainer device and rode around the neighborhood in the sunshine, you know, listening to this guy, and and it's it's just incredibly therapeutical in addition to its uh, to its neural effect if you're actually learning music. Wow. Um, and then number three, I'd say would be, um, I, I'm going to throw one out there for the athletes that are listening in, since I do know we have, we have some athletes listening. That would be really learning how to do rhythmic breathing while you're oh, exercising. Yeah. Um, and what that means is when you're exercising, you should not just be training your muscles or your cardiovascular system. You should be training your cardiorespiratory system. Um, when you learn how to do nasal rhythmic breathing, such as, for example, going for a run, only breathing through your nose and doing something like breathing in for three strides, breathing out for two strides, it's, that's like a three-two breathing pattern. When you learn how to do that, exercise turns into a more focused meditative activity. You get a lower cortisol release when you're doing the deep nasal breathing versus like the shallow chest mouth breathing. Um, and you, you train your cardiorespiratory system. So your, your inspiratory, expiratory muscles, your diaphragm, they become stronger. Um, there's some really good books out there that train you how to do like deep breathing, nasal breathing, and rhythmic breathing. Um, two of the really good ones are running on air by Bud Coates. Um, it was a book put out by Runner's World, um, and, and a lot of the book is just like stretches and exercises, but the very first like 100 pages of the book teach you everything you need to know about rhythmic breathing. And then for the nasal breathing component, um, there's a guy named John Duyard who runs a, like a holistic spa in Boulder, Colorado, and he works with a lot of athletes, and he wrote a book called 
Um, I think it's Life, Body, and Sport, I believe is the name of it. Um, but it trains you how to do that deep nasal breathing and do it efficiently and not feel like you're having to suck air during exercise. So cool. I'd say relationships, music, and uh, rhythmic breathing. All right. We'll put links to those books in the, the show notes uh, on the site on Bulletproof Exec. Ben, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks for doing all the cool biohacking stuff you're doing. And I uh, hope to see you at our biohacking conference later this year whenever we figure out the date. Dude, I'm, I'm in. I'll be there. Awesome. Catch you later. All right. Later, Dave. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.